0: Uh, This afternoon service uh, is a tough one because we have just eaten and uh, our bellies are full and our eyes again are a bit heavy and I think again after that meal they're probably a little heavier than usual especially again with all that soups and all those chilies. And uh, those good desserts and everything else like that. But we're going to try and stay awake. Um, White has already told me he's not going to fall asleep because he's had some coffee today. And so he's all set. And so we're really excited about that. So we praise the Lord for his goodness and praise the Lord for his greatness. And this really is an exciting passage of scripture. You know, when you come to John chapter 15, I think, again, if you happen to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been saved again for a while... You're familiar with this passage of Scripture, you know, it talks about Jesus Christ being the vine and we are the branches. And it really explains why we have life, why we have salvation, what that salvation brings forth from our lives. And it also explains, again, those who make a profession of faith, why they fall away. You know, why, again, they do not bear fruit that happens to again in their life. And we just begin... Looking at this passage of Scripture last time we were together, we looked at verse number one. It says, I am the vine, Jesus speaking. I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And we realize, again, especially women uh, who happen to be going away to the ladies' conference, this is the final of the seven great I am statements that happen to begin in the Gospel of John. And in each one of them, he's proclaiming a message, isn't it? You know, he's taking that personal name, that holy name, again, that God is the great I am, and he's putting it again on himself. And this is the amazing thing about uh, Jesus, because Jesus again preaches that there's only one God. But he's not afraid, again, to call God the Father up above. He's not afraid to take the name God himself. And he's not even, not even afraid, and we'll see, we see this in the uh, farewell discourse. So he's not even afraid to call the Holy Spirit God. You know, and this is one of these great mysteries, right? We have three distinct persons God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But we only have one being of God. The essence of God is one, the personhood of God is always three, you know, that happens to be there. And we see that, again, he takes on this name. But he also gives a revelation of himself. He says, I am, and here it is, the vine. You know, and this really has a Jewish connotation, because in the Old Testament scripture, <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> in any Old Testament scriptures, Israel was to be the vine of God. In other words, through their fruitfulness, through their obedience, through their love for the one true God, they were to bring forth fruit that spoke of the character, spoke of the greatness, spoke of the glory of this great God that happens to be above. But even as we looked at this morning, we realized Israel failed time and time and time again. But everything that Israel was not, the Messiah was. You know, the Messiah, again, was the perfect, again, image of that fruitfulness, of that character of the Father that happened to be above. And we might say, again, what's so significant about that? Because we're more like Israel than we are of the, of, uh, the, uh, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the significance of that is who we're tied to, who we're connected to. We're connected to jesus christ we have life through his name we have salvation we have that perfect standing and why because i'm connected to jesus when jesus lived that perfect life i lived that perfect life when jesus died that substitutionary death that wrath of god that was against me was forever more propitiated was forever more satisfied and it's a wonderful truth. You know, and even as we get into a little later into this little analogy that he gives us about this, the Christian life, we will see, see the reason why we can do anything is because we are really tied to the Lord Jesus. But he not only talks about himself, he talks about the Father that happens to be in heaven. And this is an amazing thing, because so often we talk about the love of Jesus, but so often we don't talk about the love of the Father. And what this verse tells us, that the vine dresser, the one who takes care of the vine, is none other than God the Father. He's the great sovereign. And when we look at the intimate details of our lives as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's involved in all of that. He's the one who brings all of those things to bear that happen to be in our life. So we see the love of Christ, but we also see the love of this great vine dresser, in our lives we also look very uh quickly at verse number two we didn't get all the way through it but let's just read it again it says every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit m- more fruit and let me say this verse is way astonishing but it's so common isn't it you know because what is being used it really is a farming metaphor isn't it And if you have any background in farming, you know, you realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, I used to work on an apple orchard, you know, we used to have unproductive shoots that used to come out on an apple tree. And what you would do is you would take a pair of pruning shears and you would prune them off. And why? Because they were unproductive. They were no good for the tree. And this is what's being described here. You know, any, anyone, who, and he's talking about those who claim to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking about God haters here, but those who claim to be true believers in Jesus Christ. Here's a branch that's unproductive. Here's a branch that's really not connected to the life of the Lord Jesus, and it's cut off. It's thrown away. And we see that, don't we, in Christianity. If you've ever been involved in church, you realize that. Sometimes people drift away from Jesus Christ. And we realize as they drift away from Jesus Christ, they were never saved to begin with. Sometimes people are even excommunicated, disciplined, out of the church. And let me just say, it's a painful process. But the whole process takes place that the vine might be more fruitful. It might bring forth that fruit that sings again of the glory, sings of the beauty of this great God that happened to begin of salvation, even though it's a painful process, we look at a vine dresser, and he knows what's good for the vine. He knows what's best for the vine, that it might sing out to the glory of this great God. Now, what comes next in this whole analogy is basically what we experience in life as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we talked a lot about this, even at lunch, that Tim uh, mentioned. But, it, but it's amazing to look at, because when we realize our Christian worldview is basically to say this— that God is at the helm of all of eternity. God is at the helm of all time. In other words, the events that come into our life, whether it happens to be globally, whether it happens to be in our communities, whether it happens to be personally, are by the hand of God. He's absolutely sovereign. And that worldview is so different from the world that happens to be around us because they say this world is governed by chance. It's governed by... Dumb luck. Sometimes things come into your life and they happen to be pleasing. Sometimes they come into your life and they happen to be disastrous. But there's no rhyme, there's no reason, there's no purpose that happens to be behind those things. It's just dumb luck. It's good luck sometimes and it's bad luck other times. But we as believers, and we say this unapologetically, from the smallest events that take place in our life to the greatest events that take place in our life, to the most hurtful and the most harmful events that come in our life, and the most great blessings that come in our life, we realize that God is the sovereign one. God is the one who controls every single, a single event. And we preach that, and we teach that unapologetically. And here's the amazing thing about the scriptures. The scriptures proclaim God's absolute sovereignty over everything unapologetically. Very clearly. In fact, again, we even read, and this is what God says of himself in Isaiah chapter 46 and verse number 10. He says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things have not yet done. And a lot of people stop right there and say, well, yeah, God's omniscient. He knows what's going to happen in the future. But here's the question you have to ask yourself. Why does God know what's going to happen in the future? And he, and he tells us, saying, listen what he says, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my other words, everything that I planned will come to pass. And why? Because He's absolutely sovereign over all the events, everything that happens in our world, everything that happens in our life. And the word of God, and we ourselves as believers, again, uh, proclaim that unapologetically. Now a lot of people are embarrassed by it. A lot of people again fight against that, and the reason why is because a lot of harmful things happen in our world you know, things that we cannot explain. And one of the things we have to come back to is we have to remember that we're not God. You know, none of us are God, are we? You know, His ways are beyond us. His ways are higher than ours, aren't they? You know, one of the things the Scripture tells us, He's absolutely sovereign, but He's absolutely good. And what we're called to do through all of the events of life, and we're called to trust Him. But saying all of that, I want us to realize, beyond a shadow of a doubt, That God, again, does let us into some of the things, some of the reasons why these hardships, why these difficulties, why these trials come into our life. You know, and I love these kind of passages of scripture because they really prepare us for living in this fallen world. They really prepare us that we might uh, 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 use the things that come into our lives for the glory of God and see him in all these things. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at verses two, the rest of verse number two, into verse number three, and I want us to see a couple things that I hope will help us, you know, through all of the trials of life to realize and see God in all of these events, but all, also live for his glory. And the first one thing that I want us to see, is I want us to see the purpose of God in all the trials that happen to be of our life. And let's just read verse number two again. It says, every, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And he's talking about false believers that happen to be there. there. But listen what he says next. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. And this is why, that it may bear more fruit. And so it's amazing, isn't it? Because we have a unique way as believers in Jesus Christ of looking at trials in our lives. Isn't it? We see that there is a God, there's a God orientation, there's a God again uh, drift towards our interpretation, if I can put it that way, towards the way that we look at trials. In fact, the word of God commands something absolutely amazing that we're to do in the midst of our trials. And you know what it is? You know what it is? It's this: It's that we are to rejoice in our trials. Isn't that amazing? You know, it's, it's, it's incredible. Now, think about it, because it's difficult, isn't it? You know, and God commands us over and over. We see this in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. You know, James says it in a form of a command. In James chapter 1 and verse number 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, And 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 6 says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various different trials. Now think about it. If something's repeated over and over in the word of God, it's telling us a message, isn't it? It's telling us to take notice that this is important, isn't it? So when we look at this whole idea that we're to rejoice, right? We're to be, again, directing our hearts and our lives towards God in rejoicing in Him in the midst of these trials that happen to be in our life. It's telling us it's important. And it's important for a couple of reasons. And one of the reasons why it's important, when you look at the trials that happen to be again in your life, it is not normal to rejoice, is it? Is it? Am I the only one here? You know, is it normal? And I don't think it is, is it? You know, I can't believe that. Urgh, this always happens to me. Urgh, right? Right? We realize that. It is not normal. You know, think of the things that you're going through right now. The things that you're going through right now. Ask yourself, am I rejoicing? And am I praising God that I'm going through these trials right now? You know, and here's my whole point. The reason why it's commanded over and over and over again is because this is not normal for us to do. But the reason why it's commanded over and over again and it tells us to rejoice in our trials, rejoice in our trials, rejoice in our trials, because right after that, in all of those passages of scriptures, it gives us that there's purpose for our trials. You know, our trials, again, are not just done luck. They're not just happenstance. They're, it's not that there's no purpose behind it. But we realize it's a purpose, right? Sometimes it's to create perseverance in us. Sometimes it's to change our character. Sometimes it's to direct our hope upon this great God. But we realize in all of these trials that God's up to our good and his glory. He wants to fashion us and mold us in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God never wastes the adversity and the trials that we go through in our lives and we often again say this principle and I think it needs to be said again time and time again because again we many times don't operate we don't function this this way and it's basically this God will send us through things that we would never choose to go through in our life to bring change that would never come unless we went through those trials and isn't that true you know, because you can see this, again, at the end of verse number two, because he's really explaining how, how, how the lives of those who happen to be believers become productive through suffering. You know, he, again, he tells us about the unbeliever, every branch in, in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, there's a sign of a true believer. Sign of a true believer is his life has changed, and his life is changing. But it goes on right after that. It says, bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear, here it is, more fruit. Think about it, we mentioned it just in passing this morning, but the... uh parable of four soils in, in Matthew chapter 13. We realize the first soil again is that hardened soil. There's no penetration again of the word of God. But we see in the next three, three uh, soils that there is penetration in the word of God. But two prove to be faulty, right? They don't, uh, they, they don't endure. And they tr- prove to be faulty. People go after the things and the care and the seats that happen again of the world. And, and we realize some again depart because of the opposition, right? And we realize that. But have you ever known this? The seed that's planted in the good soil goes through the same adversity of the other ones. It's the same weather conditions. It's the same heat. It's the same storms that come over this good soil that happened to be right there, the seed that happens to be in the good soil. But the same adversity is planned by God for this, right? It exposes that they are false believers over here. But these same adversities that come over the life of the true believer, what it does, is it produces more fruit. It produces, again, this pruning. It produces, again, this change that happens to come over us. And it's incredible, again, because we see God's love through these difficulties, and we also see the validity of our salvation. And notice what he says about these living branches, because he says this about this pruning process. He says, every branch. Now, let me ask you a question. Here it is. Ready? Do you know what question's coming? I'll say Some of you know. What does every mean? Right? And every means what? Every. Every every branch. Every branch. Everyone that is connected to Jesus Christ is going to go through this painful process of pruning. That's what he's saying. He's not saying that somehow if I just live a certain way I'm going to be exempt. That's not what he's saying. But every single branch is going to go through this pruning process. You know Hebrews says the same thing. You know, in in Hebrews 12, it says, it is for discipline that you, you have to endure. And then he says this, when we are going through this discipline process, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So how is God treating us when we go through the fires, when we go through the afflictions, when we go through trials that happen to begin in our life? How is he treating us? He's treating us as his beloved children. Now think about it, because how often do we, re- again, rejoice in suffering? And how often do we complain about our station, about things that we're going through? How often do we cross our arms and say, there's no purpose in any of this that I'm going through? Really, when we do that, we have to realize that our complaint is not against other people. Our complaint is not against the circumstances. Our complaint is against a loving heavenly father, right? Divine dresser who has brought these into our lives for a reason. And notice he does tell us the reason. We see it again, the, the reason for our trials is this, and you can see it right at the end of the verse, right? That it may bear more fruit. Now look at the it there. What is the it talking about? It's talking about what? It's talking about the living branches. It's talking about if you happen to be connected to Jesus Christ, it's talking about you and me, right? Here it is. The reason why God sends us through, the reason why we go through this whole pruning process is to make us more fruitful. Have you ever thought about that? I'm always amazed at it. I'm a little hot. I'm going to take off my sweater. I hope you don't mind. If I have a funny hairdo after that, that's life. Praise the Lord. That's a little trial you have to go through and look at me. But anyways, have you ever been amazed? Have you ever been amazed when you look at your life that you're different than everybody else? Have you ever been amazed at that? You know, we have our own unique personalities. Certainly, again, we have uh, personal traits that we share with other people. But have you ever been amazed at this? That all of our trials, think about this, we're different. All of our trials are different in our lives. They all have the main categories, right? They might be family, they might be physical, they might be emotional, they might be spiritual problems, but they're all under the main categories, but there's a hodgepodge of trials that happen to be be belonging to us that are different than every person. And you know why? Because my heavenly vine dresser, my heavenly father is involved in my life to make me more fruitful in Jesus Christ. And how he does that, and I want us to get this, how he does that, you bring trials that happen to be in our life to reveal things that happen to be in my heart that I would not see unless I went through the trial. Isn't it true? Right? I would never know how impatient I am until I come to a red light and I'm in a rush. I never know how impatient I am when I have a meeting and somebody's late, right? I would never know how unloving and how unforgiving I am unless somebody sinned against me. And it's so difficult to really forgive them, to love them. You know, we, we often say this. If, if, if you happen to be again in a family, you know something about your spouse. You know about your spouse is a sinner. And if you happen to have your children, you know this about your children. Your children happen to be sinners, you know, and they sin against you, don't they? But here's the thing that you have to realize. You're put into those situations primarily. Yeah, yeah, we want to help them. We want to help them. We want to help them. But you're put in those situations that God might show you your heart, your unforgiveness, your impatience, your anger, your frustration. And you would never recognize that that has always existed in your heart unless God sent you through those afflictions that happen to be in your life. Paul David Tripp used to, used to quip that when you're an angry at somebody and when you say something like this, you, you give an apology because you have blurted out something you, didn't, you shouldn't have blurted out. He says, we always say something like this. He says, I'm sorry I said that. I really didn't mean that. And he says what we ought to say is basically this. I am sorry that I said, I'm sorry I said what I said, what I really meant in my heart. And he's absolutely right, isn't he? Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And many times God sends us through this painful process of pruning, this painful process of exposure that we might see in our hearts. But here's the question. You know, as we look at our hearts, are we involved in this cultivation process? You know, that God is bringing us in, looking at our hearts, looking at our sin that happened to be in our life. Because remember this, afflictions trials in our life is not a sign that god is not involved or we're somehow being chastened by him or somehow he's angry at us it's a sign that we're being loved by god a sign that we're being loved by our heavenly father and truly wants the best for us and that is more fruitfulness that happens beginning in our life So we see this, right? We see that there's a purpose for all of these things that happen to be in our life. But I want us to look at the resource that God uses to truly change us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see this in verse number three, because look at what verse number three says. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. One of the things that I've been absolutely amazed at through this this farewell discourse of the Lord Jesus Christ is a character of Christ. I mean, he—he think about it, because he's in a weakness of human flesh, and yet he's without sin. And think of all the pressure upon him, or again, right now, because he knows in just hours he's going to be arrested. He knows what's going to happen that night. He knows what's going to happen the next day. He knows the wrath of God is going to come upon him. And here he tenderly and lovingly Cares for his disciples and gives them these these necessary truths because he knows that they're going to go through dark days and they're going to need these truths. And I think a lot of times what we have to ask ourselves, in the humanity of Christ, looking at his humanity, where did he get that encouragement? Where did he get that moral strength? Where did he get it? Well, Hebrews gives us a little clue. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2, it tells us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And then it says this about Christ, who for the joy that was set before him, and listen to what he says, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So think about again what this is saying. He is able to endure the cross. Why? Because of the joy set before him. He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that death will not be the final um, answer. That he realizes beyond a shadow of a doubt he will rise. He will be exalted to the Father's right hand. But not only that, but a plethora of sinners are going to trust in him. They're going to be clothed in that white linen. They're going to be clothed in his blood. They're going to be, again, have that perfect standing in Christ forever more and he realizes the fruit that's going to come through that is not only going to magnify him but glorify his father that happened to be in heaven. Now here's the question. Think about it because he endured the cross for the joy set before him. Where did he get that knowledge as a perfect man? You know and I think a lot of times we think Jesus is a little baby you know, he's got all knowledge. He's there staring up at Mary and he knows everything that's going on and he's all, all these things. He had to come and he had to live like a man. He had to think like a man. You know, he had to go through all the trials that happened to be again of a man and yet without sin. And certainly, again, he was in perfect communion with his father that happened to be above and there was direct revelation that was given to him as a perfect and great prophet. But his main source of information of what would come, main source of who his father was, was the Old Testament scriptures. And you can imagine how he devoured them and read them. You know, passages like Isaiah chapter 53, beginning at verse number 10, it says, yet it was the will of the Lord. Think about him reading this and knowing that this is talking about him. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, but listen to what it says next. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of a soul, he shall see and be satisfied by the knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear the iniquities of. He shall bear their iniquities. I mean, think about it. As he dwells on this passage of scripture, and death is not going to have the final word. You know, God the Father, my Father God is going to resurrect me. My Father God is going to show me the fruit of me being offered up as a guilt offering for sin, And he knows this beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so how is he able to endure the cross? For the joy set before him. How does he know about this joy that's set before him? Here it is. word of God. Now, think about it, think about it, because let's come back to ourselves. We're going through dark days and dark trials. You know, how do we encourage our hearts? How do we have direction in our own life? Well, look at verse number three. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So, here we are clean, we have the clean standing, and we're being clean. But it's interesting how we're being clean, because we're being clean through the Word of God. Now, here's the thing, because I want us to see how this is all brought together. Do you know the word clean actually was in verse number two? If you can put verse number two up there again. Now, look at that verse two. two, two, two. Now, they put prunes. They were supposed to put prunes, because I was going to ask you, what word, again, is clean there? And the word clean that happens to be in that passage of Scripture is prune. And the reason why is because that's what a farmer would do. He would clean, again, the branch. He would clean it. Maybe there there were some offshoots. Maybe there happened to be some, some thorns. And he would clean it in order for it to be more productive. So think of what this is teaching us. Because here it is, the word of God comes, the word of the Lord Jesus Christ comes, and here it is, it's applied through the Holy Spirit of God, through all of our trials, through all of our difficulties in our life, and what it produces is what we are. We're clean in the Lord, and it begins to cleanse us as far as our character, as far as our behavior. It's through the word of God. You know, Jesus even praises in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, in verse number 17, he says, sanctify them, in your truth. Here it is. Your word is truth. And he prays. You know, through all of this that this word of God would have this pruning process, this cleansing process that happens to be in our life. Now, think about that because I want to explain how that works. Because you might look at this and this might look like all theory that happened to begin right here. And let me explain how it works because so often when we're going through trials, when we're going through difficulties, something comes out of us, and we basically say that wasn't us. Right? That wasn't us. I am not like that. You know, and all of us are interpreters of life. All of us are trying to find a reason why we said, why we did, why we acted the way that we acted. You know, we want to blame our bodies. I was just tired at that time. I shouldn't have said that. We want to blame other people. You make me so mad. You make me so angry. You wouldn't forgive them if they did this to you. We want to blame our circumstances. If you were in that situation... You would have done the same thing. You would have responded the same way. We want to make, blame our makeup. You know, it's just the way I am. You know, you either accept me or, or, or don't. And we're all blame shifters. You know, the reason why I cannot lo- love my wife is because of who my wife is. The reason why I can't respect my husband is because of who my husband is. The reason why I can't love my parents is because of who my parents are. The reason why I can't be a good father is look at my children. The reason why I can't be a loving mother is look at my children. And we're always looking at something that happens to be outside of us. That's the interpretation we give in life, isn't it? But what does the word of God do? Well, listen to what it does in Hebrews 4. In Hebrews 4, it says, For the word of God is living and active, right? It's just not words on a page, but it's living and active. And this is what it does. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit of the joints and mirror. And this is what it does when it pierces us, when it cuts us open. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the... There's that word again. We've been seeing that word a lot on Wednesday evening. We've been seeing that word a lot again on Sunday morning, haven't we? Discerner of what? The heart. Heart's desperately wicked. Who can know it? God can know it. God can show us again the true things that happen to be again there. And no creature is hidden from from his sight, but all are naked and exposed the eyes of him to whom we must give an account so the scriptures again rightly interpret our lives they cut us open and they show again all the excuses that happen to begin right here now let me just give you an example of how this all works you know this is an example again that i think it's true of all of our lives and that is we all have trouble forgiving don't we you know if you live with somebody near you you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're sinners In fact, the best relationships that we have is a sinner living with a sinner, and it has to have in that relationship, if it's going to be meaningful, it has to have forgiveness. But we also realize this, that some things are harder to forgive than other things, aren't they? Some things, again, somebody might betray us. Somebody might gossip behind our back. Somebody might, again, take our reputation and trample it underfoot for their own means and their own devices. And we have trouble forgiving. We know we ought to forgive. You know, but we have trouble forgiving. Now, if, I w- if you would be honest and think through the category of people that happen to begin in your life, here's the question. Who do you have trouble forgiving in your life? Who in your life do you say this? I just can't forgive them. Really, really, the answer is I won't forgive them. But we think the obstacle, and, and I'm asked this question as a pastor all the time how do I get by what they've done? How do I forgive? Right? And, and we're looking, it's just too big, it's just too monumental. It's just too hurtful. Every time I look at them, I see this hurt. I just, I just can't get over it. How do we get over it? Well, do you remember in Matthew chapter 18? Peter was real spiritual because he asked the question, Lord, how many times do we forgive a person? Right? And the rabbinic um, tradition was to forgive a person for the same infraction six times. And then after that, you could hold a grudge against them. But Peter went even higher because he was super holy. He said, seven times? And remember Jesus' response? Do you remember? Seven times 70. And it wasn't 490, it was basically this. It's innumerable amount. You know, when somebody does these infractions against us, let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, what we're called is to forgive them and forgive them and forgive them. And it's fine to say that, but then he gives us a parable. And the parable is called the Unforgiving Servant. You remember it? Because it really stings. You know, there's this servant who comes, you know, the king is, is bringing in all those, again, who owe him uh, debits, who owe him money, who own various different things. And, and he brings this servant in who owns 10,000 talents. And I don't know how to describe that, that much money. The closest I could come to it is is billions upon billions upon billions, maybe hundreds of billions of dollars. You know, and if we would have heard the debt read out, our mouths would have dropped open. We would have been astonished, and we would have even said, how can somebody owe that much money? How can somebody squander that much of a fortune? We would have just been amazed at that. But we would have been amazed even at what came next. Because the king, here in an act of mercy, says the debt is forgiven. He writes it all off. And we're amazed. We're amazed at the love of this king. We're amazed at his forgiveness. We're amazed at his generosity and all of this. And then the servant goes out and he finds another servant who owes him a hundred in area. And remember, these sins hurt. This is a hundred days wages. This is a lot of money but nothing compared to what happens to begin over here but it's still a hurtful infraction and he demands payment and he begins to choke him. And the other servant again asks for time, asks for time, asks for time. And he says, No. And he throws him in a debtor prison. In a debtor prison, you, you, you earn so little that you would never be able to pay off the debt. And the other fellow servants hear this and they just can't believe what they're seeing. After he has been forgiven this enormous debt. That they go back and tell the king. And the king takes that unforgiving servant and he throws him into prison. And then he says in Matthew chapter 18, verse number 35, Christ wraps it up and he says, So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother. Here it is again from your heart. And what's the message? The message is, I'm that servant. I'm that servant who owed 10,000 talents. And you know why? It's because every single sin I ever committed in my life and I will ever commit in my life is first and foremost done against God. And think of it. Think of it this way. Because anyone who has sinned against me, no matter how grievous I have sinned more against my God than anybody who has ever sinned against me, And when you realize that, how do I ever get by this? By seeing the enormity of the forgiveness that God has granted me. And all of a sudden, my heart is pricked. It's touched. It's willing to forgive And it's not because the person is worthy of that forgiveness. It's because I realize I am unworthy of this forgiveness. And here it is again. How do I ever get to that point? And how I get to that point is this. God will send me through things I would never choose to go through. He would would even ordain people, even though he is not culpable for the sin he will ordain people that will sin against me do these horrendous things that happen to begin in my life to put me in a position that I might see the exhaustive forgiveness of Christ in my own life and that character of Christ through the word of God might be molded into my life that I would be changed right from the heart from the inside out so let me end with a couple challenges and one is again the type of preaching we want And the type of preaching we need. You know, we need, again, just not a few moral lessons. We need, again, not just, again, being taught the facts of these are the things of God. But what we need to do is see the message in the Scripture and see how it intersects with our life, our hearts. You know, that application that we might, that the Spirit of God might mold us through these trials and through these difficulties of life. And the second thing, if God has ordained these Trials that happen to be in our life. And God has given us this bountiful knowledge of who he is and his movements in our life that he's sovereign over all of these things that happen to be again in our lives. Have you examined your heart? Have you examined what's going on in your life and what needs to truly be changed? You know, God loves you. If you're a child of God... God loves you so much that he is not content with the fruitfulness that happens to be of your life, even though it's great. It really is. If you're a true believer, it is great fruitfulness. There's a great change that came over your life, but he's not content. He loves you so much that he will send you through things that you will never go through, that through the Holy Spirit and his word, that you might be changed into that blessed image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's seek him Let's seek his word and seek that word again to be applied through our lives that we might be changed into that blessed image of the Lord Jesus Christ as his vine, that we might reflect him and glorify him. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Oh, God. I thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, and I thank you that as we look at the world that happens to be around us, and we even look at our own individual lives and the trials and difficulties that we go through, God, it's so easy to have a worldview that does not include you, that does not include what you have revealed to us in your word. Lord, that we can look at our problems, we can look at our difficulties, we can look at our suffering, we can look at our hardship, our, uh, our heartaches and not see you and not see that you're sovereign in all of this. And Lord, these trials are not a sign that you're disappointed with us. It's not a sign that you've given up on us. It's not a sign that you are against us, but Lord, you are for us. It's one of these signs of these difficult grace that happens to be in our life, because you desire what is highest, what is most glorious in our lives, and that is to be changed into that blessed image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, may we see this. May we be involved in this cultivation, this cultivation that you're doing in our lives. We thank you so much. Just be with us now as we're dismissed. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Brother.